Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Well, what's up with this is human need surpasses that law. Why? Because to save a life or provide for somebody, well, it's more important. The rules, the regulations, they're there for our benefit and protection. But but human need brings us to a point of, well, we got to look past that or overcome that. And they don't pull over the fire truck to give it a ticket for driving 65 and a 35, not if they're on their way to put out a fire. In part two of Pastor Sam's message, The Lord of the Sabbath, Sam is back in Matthew 12, starting in verse 5. Herein, we continue to look at the Sabbath and what it meant to the Jews, what they thought it meant, and what it means to you and I. Let's listen in and learn what we can. Lots of people labor for the Lord and, and on His behalf on those days that others have as a day of rest. A couple things in regards to the Sabbath as it would relate to us. First of all, the Sabbath was, is, and will always be Saturday, the seventh day. Sunday's the first day of the week. Why are we gathered today, Sunday? To celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which happened on the first day of the week. The early church celebrated the resurrection every single Sunday. But because the early church was birthed there in Jerusalem and most of the first converts were Jews, they continued to also celebrate the Sabbath. The difference is those things that they were doing now had a deeper and more, well, more fulfilling meaning. They began to see that these were shadows, but Christ is the reality, that these were pointing to something far greater that rest wasn't about a day, it was entering into rest in Him, as Hebrews chapter 4 tells us over and over. Make sure we've entered into His rest, that we're resting in Him. And I want to tell you, if you're a person that's trying to be good enough for God, to do good works for God, or be acceptable to God, to toe the line, or keep the law, or live by the Sermon on the Mount, you never rest from those labors. You never do enough. But when you enter into a relationship with Jesus where he says, hey, I will impute to you perfect rightness in my father's sight and in mine. I will trade your sin for my righteousness. Then you enter in to real rest. You cease from your labors. And that's what the scripture is all about. Now, on the Sabbath, he says the priest were working hard. And you got to know that's true. You know, as we gather together week after week here at Calvary Chico, one of the things that happens is the vast majority of people who show up for any given service come to worship and to study. I, I know there are other possibilities. Maybe your air's out and you're just thinking, hey, I, I remember that place. Some free AC, the chairs are pretty comfortable, probably get 40 winks, you know, leave refreshed. So that could be a few of you. I, I've noticed from time to time there are people who just keep staring and I figure it out. They're, they're waiting for the movie to start. They think I'm a commercial and they're like, what happened, you know? Where's the movie? But most of you are here to worship and study. But not everybody in this building came today to worship and study. Do you know it takes 50 people for us to open the doors and do a service like this? 50 people that are serving, most of them in the background. I mean, you see some of the ushers in the hall with bulletins, and, and there are some things going on in the cafe, in the bookstore. Those are obvious. But behind the scenes and in every classroom, and 
there's a lot of stuff going on. And, and here's what happens. Lots of people come, and this is not a day of rest for them. It's a day of work. Now, we do encourage, and in fact, we require anyone who's serving in our ministry to come to one of the services. So if you were serving third service, you'd need to be here at this one. Or if you were serving first, you'd need to be here at this one or third. And we require that. Why? Because we don't want anyone to serve instead of worshiping and studying. But ultimately, as I shared earlier, our goal is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So we expect over time, everyone will find some way to serve the Lord. And hopefully lots of you in context of working alongside us. Why? That's the best way to learn to serve in a mentoring relationship where you're next to somebody who's doing something and succeeding in it. And you become a part partner and participant. And well, the Lord blesses and uses all of that. My point is this, that Sunday well, it's not the Sabbath anyway, but but for me, because Saturday often is a day of work, Monday becomes my Sabbath. And I do believe while we're not under the law, and I'll explain why in a moment, that directly relates to all of us. We're not under the law. We're not required to keep the Sabbath, you know, Saturday Sabbath, as some are caught up in today. But we do need a day of rest. So I take Monday and that's my day. Sometimes I have things I have to do on it. But for the most part, that's a day where I'll spend lots of time in the word, not preparing to teach or or doing an outline or any of that, just feasting on it and feeding on it, just being cleansed by it and encouraged just in the word for my own rest. And then just worshiping the Lord informally without people, without it's how I rest and, and other things add to that, of course. So some of you, maybe it's Monday, maybe it's Friday, maybe it's Saturday, but if you're a seven-day-a-weeker, the Lord wants you to rest. you got to do it. The next thing, though, and, and this is equally important, is, is that they put such great emphasis on the things going on on the Sabbath or going on in the temple. And he says, look, at the priests are in their serving. They're in there butchering, literally, those animals and sacrificing them to the Lord, cooking them and then distributing that for people to eat. And if you're unfamiliar with the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, when we finish Exodus, we'll probably look at Leviticus and go through all that. It's fascinating. And it's not just a, a gory blood fest where there's sacrifice after sacrifice. No, it's a huge barbecue. And when you see it in that light, it's a whole different thing. There were spiritual implications... But but the bottom line is those priests functioned, well, like you, Dave, they were butchers, man. They had to cut that stuff up and bleed it and make it happen and cook it for people. And that's what was going on. And so the priests were busy working and lots of people were busy working. And Jesus is saying in the midst of their work, you're not accusing them of anything. And aren't they considered blameless? You see, Jesus is asking such good questions. It's a good way to teach, by the way. Sometimes it'll aggravate people. I use it at home when I don't want to talk. And Pam will ask me a question. I'll answer with a question. She hates that. And so, so, and then I'm like, honey, that's how Jesus taught. I'm just trying to, you know, teach you, you know. And then she really hates that. And so, but she's been in the word for a while too. And we try not to get into scripture wars. You know, some of you young Christians might try those. They're really bad. But, uh, and, you know, the, doesn't the Bible say you're supposed to? Oh, yeah, the Bible says you're supposed to. Listen, if the Bible says you're supposed to, that's for you, not for you to tell someone else. So you get your part and let God talk to them about theirs. But in any case, he says, look at one greater than the temple. And I tell you, in this place, there's one greater than the temple. That is so radical of a statement. I don't know if we can even begin to realize in that day for those people how that would have hit them or impacted them. 
Why and how was Jesus greater than the temple? Well, because the temple was a temporary residence, whether it was the tabernacle, that tent in the wilderness, or later the temple there in Jerusalem. It was temporary, and God would come and make his presence known, and he would remove his presence from time to time. But see, Jesus, we're told, well, in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So much so that he could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I mentioned that little six-year-old that, that came up and asked me about the Trinity. Well, how can there be a Father and Son and God's just one person, you know? Or No, I said, he's not one person. He's one God. He's three persons. Well, how can one God be three persons? What a good question. But that is what the Bible declares. And today there are those who struggle with the idea, oh, the Trinity, oh, I don't think it's in the Bible. Oh, it's there. It's there throughout the Bible. Let us create man in our image. Who do you think God was talking to? Well, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a conversation. And you find those throughout Scripture. Baptism of Jesus. Jesus being baptized there in the flesh. Spirit descends in the form of a dove. Why? So they could see and know what was happening. The Father speaks from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. But Jesus says, one greater than the temple. Hey, I want to tell you something that's even more mind-blowing and mind-boggling. You are greater than the temple of the Old Testament. You are greater than the temple they built in Jerusalem. Why? Because the Bible says every born-again believer has been sealed with the Holy Spirit. God has taken up permanent residence in you. And by the way, that's how you can know today if you're really a Christian or not. Because if you... If you try to figure out if you're a Christian based on, well, how long have you gone to church or how many verses have you memorized or, you know, what do you do? You know, are you doing good stuff now and are you stopping the bad stuff? The ultimate issue is, are you and, and have you been sealed with the Holy Spirit? Have you opened your heart to God and confessed you're a guilty sinner? Have you let the, the conviction of God, the Holy Spirit, who worked from the outside in... Bring you to the point of confession and say, Jesus, forgive me. I am a guilty sinner. I need you as Lord and Savior. I get that you died for me, were buried and rose again. I receive you. I give my life to you. When you do that, and I know most of you have, the Holy Spirit comes into your life, takes control, lives within you from then and thereon. So you're greater than that temple that they were so caught up in because God will never leave you or forsake you. You now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, if you'd known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. If you'd known what this means, he quotes Hosea 6, 6, and he does this a few times in different contexts. He says, look it, I'm, I'm looking for mercy, not sacrifice. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were all about Outward stuff, appearance, sacrifice, acknowledgement. God said, I'm looking for mercy and I'm not getting it. I'm not seeing it. Not mercy for my disciples, not mercy for me, not mercy for the people you're supposed to represent me to. And then he says, as radical as it is to say one greater than the temples here, he says, the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now understand, they got this. They understood it was a claim to deity. It was, he was saying in essence, hey, you gotta know who I am. You've been expecting me and I'm here. You've seen what I've done. You've heard what I've taught. You know how I live. But they were hardening their heart against him. Now before we look at this last illustration and example and deal with the issue of healing on the Sabbath, let's deal with the Sabbath 
for us today. It's an important issue because there are lots of people still convinced, 20 centuries after all of this, that it's necessary to worship on Saturday, the Sabbath. In fact, that the largest group that, that teaches that idea that you've got to worship on Saturday actually believes that and teaches that Sunday worship is the mark of the beast referred to in the book of Revelation chapters 13 and 14. It's, it's so bizarre. It's so amazing that anyone could come up with such an interpretation. No one will be able to buy or sell without the mark of the beast. What do you got to prove you go to church on Sunday to buy or sell? You know, it, it is such an absurdity. And yet there's this huge group of Christendom and then many outside of it that have bought into the idea that the Sabbath, the Sabbath, the Sabbath. Listen. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. I already mentioned that it started in Exodus 16. It was expanded and codified in Exodus 20. When you get to the book of Acts, not that far after Jesus' um, cross and burial and resurrection, ascension to heaven, in Acts chapter 15, they brought together a council to deal with the ultimate issue of the Sabbath. Not if it's okay to work on the Sabbath or if it's okay to heal on the Sabbath, but are Christians, especially Gentile Christians, even subject to the Sabbath? Are we needing to come under the Sabbath? And here's how the question arose. There were those following the Apostle Paul who was establishing churches just about everywhere he could get to. And they were saying, unless you are circumcised and keep the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, they weren't saying, hey, you've begun well with Jesus. Now you just got to add in the Sabbath stuff and this ceremonial stuff and this, these feasts and these festivals. And don't forget circumcision and don't forget all the law and all its rules and requirements and regulations and restrictions. No, they, they said, unless you're circumcised and keep the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, that's another gospel. You've got to see it. Galatians says, if anyone preaches any other gospel, let him be accursed. They're saying, the blood of Jesus, the cross, yes, but you have to add circumcision and the law of Moses. Now, when they convene this great council in Acts 15, they share what's going on, the, the difficulty they're experiencing. And, and here's the conclusion they come to. And we know that it wasn't just their conclusion because when they write the letter to deal with this issue and send it out to the churches who are being impacted by it, they said it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit to put on you no greater burden well, than these things. And they tell them they needed to abstain from idols from things sacrificed to idols, from, from fornication, and from, from things strangled, blood. Of all the things that Gentiles might be involved in, they pick these four things. Worship of idols, things strangled, the blood, and fornication. Why? It was so prevalent in their society. Idolatry abounded. Immorality abounded. And so they're saying, Gentile Christians, listen, one, one of the points they make is that neither we nor our forefathers were ever able to bear this burden. You see, no one ever kept the law but Jesus. Tempted in all ways, yet without sin. Everyone else broke the law. And so when they come saying you've got to keep the law, you need to understand that if you get under the Sabbath, you've got to keep the whole law. It's a chain. You've got to do the whole thing. And all there is is law and grace. All there is is law and love. And we're saved by the grace of God. We're saved by grace through faith 
And that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works lest any should boast. And when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood and said, it is finished, that means paid in full. It's not paid in part and all you got to do now is this and this and this. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And so this issue of do Christians need to obey the Sabbath? No, I've already mentioned I believe we should and need to rest. But, but see, that's love again. That's just God's saying long before the law, hey, take a day, rest, relax, enjoy, refresh, renew. We need that. He made it for us. But we're not under the Sabbath laws. We're not under the ceremonial laws. We're not under the law. In fact, check this out. Outside of Judaism, outside of, of that, that group of believers in God, given the law through Moses and then followed after as a result, really nobody was under the law. How did God deal with Gentiles prior to the giving of the law to the Jews according to conscience? How did he deal with Gentiles after the law was given to the Jews? According to conscience, you see. It was the exact same things because the law... And the Sabbath, by the way, and you can go trace this all the way back to, uh, I believe, around Exodus 31. He says, it's a covenant between me and you, Israel, forever. It was his deal with Israel. So the Gentiles, never in any generation or in any dispensation, were subject to the Sabbath. And when people come and say, well, and here, here's the irony. Here's how they do it. And I've been with them and I've talked with them and tried to reason with them. They say, you believe it's wrong to kill? Of course I do. do. Do you know that's in the Ten Commandments? Well, yeah, I read that. You believe it's wrong to steal? Oh, yeah, I know that's wrong. And say, that's in the Ten Commandments. Yeah, I read that. You believe, and they go through the list and they just go, do you know that you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath? Do you know that you're supposed to worship on the Sabbath? And I'm like, well, where's that? And they're so it's in the Ten Commandments. And see, they think they've got you, right? But here's the deal. It was wrong to steal before the Ten Commandments. It was wrong to lie before the Ten Commandments. In fact, if there never were any commandments, you'd already know it was wrong. You know why? You don't like when people lie to you or take your stuff. There's something inherent that says, that's not right. Even a four-year-old goes, that's mine, that's mine. Even if it's not theirs, they say it. But when it is theirs, they really hang on to it. And we know, because God has written on our hearts, He has given us a conscience, there are right things and there are wrong things. And they were wrong before he codified them and gave them to the Jews. So my point is simple. The Gentile church was never under the law. And when they tried to bring them under the law, they met and said, that's not going to happen. And then the book of Colossians, so wonderful. As he talks about this whole issue in, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, I've got to read it to you because I'm a little bit foggy today. I think Greg Laurie used to call it spaced in the grace, which is probably a good way to, to express it. But, but, but listen to this. He says, Let no one judge you in food or drink regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. You see, all of those things, and we'll see this, those of you who study on Wednesday through the Old Testament with us, you'll see everything in the tabernacle pointed to Jesus. That, that light stand, the only light in the, in the tabernacle, Jesus, the light of the world. That bread, it was the only food there in the tabernacle. And, and hey, Jesus, the bread of life. 
That, that, that mercy seat, oh, it speaks of His mercy and His shed blood sprinkled on it. The law that we've broken placed inside that, oh, it's just a wonderful series of pictures pointing us to Jesus, the feast, the festivals. Lo, I come, Jesus later says, in the volume of the book it is written of me. It's all His story. It's all about Him. So, we're not under the law. And so we're not obligated to keep the sixth, the seventh, the fifth, the fourth, the third. No, no. He just wants us to have a day of rest because he loves us and he's provided it for us and, and he's made it so. And so when people come, if people come and they're like, man, the law, the law, the law. No, it's grace. It's grace. It's grace. And it's like, well, but what? No, it's the blood. It's the blood. It's the blood. Well, this final controversy then, as it related to them, and maybe a couple things that might relate to us. Verse 9 says, When he departed from there, he went to their synagogue, and behold, there was a man who with a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Now, I don't know if this was an absolute setup or they just took advantage of the fact that there was a guy there with a withered hand, but I do know this. They knew Jesus well enough to know that if there was human need in front of him, he wasn't going to walk past it. If there was somebody who he needed to touch and could touch, he was going to. Now, here's the irony of the situation. They couldn't heal this guy, and they wouldn't have if they could have. But they, 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 they couldn't heal. And they knew Jesus could, and they knew Jesus would. And so they asked, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Their hope was to accuse him, to trap him, to ensnare him. Well, he says to them, answering the question with a question, what man is there among you who has one sheep and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not lay hold of it and lift it out? He's saying, is there one of you? You have a sheep, it falls in a pit. You say, oh, little buddy, I'd like to help you, but it's the Sabbath. No way. That's your sheep. You're going to pull that thing out. Why? It's your sheep. And then he asks a question that really has application in our day and age of how much more value then is a man than a sheep. Now, his, his reason for asking the question is just to cause them to think, yeah, men created in God's image, loved by God. No, no men, the, the crown of creation, they understood that. But in our day and age, there are a lot of people saying, well, why is a man better than a sheep? I'll tell you why. Because God created man in his image. And he created us with the capacity to choose, to know, to reject him or to receive him. He created us with a capacity to love, to forgive. I mean, we're not just a higher species as you know. so many would teach today. We're not some evolved slime and sheep less evolved slime. No, we were created by and for God. And, and so when he asked, is how much more value than a man, than a sheep? Hey, infinitely more. Jesus didn't die for animals. He died for people. That's how much. Your worth to him. Therefore, he says, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. I mean, how can you argue with that? You do good to a sheep, but you leave a man suffering. I see a man and I'm going to meet that need. So he says to him, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. I love this. He gives an impossible command as we so often see. He obeys and in the midst of his obedience, the impossible becomes possible. He stretches it out and was restored as whole as the other. But we conclude with this, and now we're going to share in communion together. Then the Pharisees went out and took counsel against him how they might destroy him. How tragic, in spite of the fact that they knew it was time, 
They knew the place. They knew of His birth. They knew of His miracles. They'd heard His teaching. They'd, they'd seen Him in action. And in spite of it all, they plot to put Him to death. I like to suggest to you that, hey, that's, that's how it still is today. And if you get close enough to really understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you and, and His plan for your life, and you harden your heart against Him, you're no different than these people. Why? Because He says, you're for me or you're against me. You're with me or you're against me. And so my question to you today, are you for Him? Have you opened your life up to Him? Have you yielded your life, given your life? That's what He wants, no less. He gave His life for you. And he asked now, give your life to him. In Matthew 21, 44, Jesus referred to himself as the stone the builders rejected, saying, whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. The Pharisees who rejected the obvious logic that Jesus spoke regarding the Sabbath were not really rejecting his teaching, they were rejecting him. Unwilling to allow Jesus to open their eyes about what God really intended regarding the Sabbath, they clung to their own traditions and relied upon their own understanding. The result? They stumbled on the stone and were broken, and would soon find that that stone would fall upon them. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.